welcome to the Truth Ward Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have benefited from this podcast or any of Olin's books, we'd like to ask you to leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast or wherever you purchase your books. Now, here's Olin. Hebrews chapter 10. So if you don't know exactly where that is, go to the end of your Bible, Revelation, and then you can flip back a couple of books to the left. It's the first kind of longer book you come into contact with, Hebrews chapter 10. And while you're turning there, let me pray for us. Lord, hear our prayers right now. It's been a good weekend. I pray that you would help us to finish well. Lord, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Lord, unless you choose to bless our efforts in everything, uh, reading your word, understanding your word, applying your word, teaching your word, going back to campus, trying to walk with Christ for the rest of our lives. If you're not in our corner, if you're not blessing us, if you're not helping us, if you're not giving us grace, if you're not filling us full of the Holy Spirit, we are going to fail. And so we ask you, Father, would you be kind? Would you be merciful to us? Would you turn to us? Would you smile on us right now? Even for these next few minutes, Lord, I know a lot of people are probably tired. Lord, fill them full of the Holy Spirit just to focus, just to be all here, to have mental energy to listen. And would you be speaking to each one of us in a personalized fashion to be laying a good foundation for the rest of our life to... Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please you in all respects and bear fruit in every good work. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. So, a little bit of introduction. If we had grown up in the Old Testament times, or if you just even read the Old Testament now, and hear the way that it describes people interacting with God, worshiping God, their experience in many ways would be very different than ours. When they went to worship God, if they were going to church on a Sunday morning or even some type of campus outreach meeting, they wouldn't have had something exactly like this, but a time to hear the Word taught. Oftentimes they would go to the temple. And the temple was set up as a way to meet God, but so many of the things about the temple also, it was kind of like a dual message. It was kind of like God was saying, come close to me, I love you, but it was almost like He was also giving a stiff arm saying, be careful, don't get too close. Because there were certain parts of the temple that everybody couldn't go into. Only the priests could go. And in the center of the temple, it was called the Holy of Holies. And that was where the presence of God was supposed to be literally dwelling. And there was a super thick, heavy curtain, almost like one of these wall separators. And the high priest, he could only go into that part of the temple once a year. And when he would go into that part of the temple... He had to take all of these ceremonial baths and get clean and wear certain kinds of clothes. And he had bells on the end of his robes and they would tie a rope around him. And here was the reason why. If he did something wrong in the presence of God, he would get killed. And you couldn't go in to get the body. So you just, the bells haven't been moving for a while. He must have sinned. Let's drag him out with a rope. So there was a sense of God saying, I love you. You're my people. I want to be close to you. But also, because I'm so holy and you're so sinful, you've got to stay at a distance. Now, Jesus comes and changed many things for us. Praise God that He did. And in the beginning, in the first century, many of the people that were becoming Christians were Jews. And back then, the Roman government ruled the known world, and they were very oppressive, but they kind of had given the Jews a little bit of a special pass. They were like, you guys are a bunch of weirdos. You're monotheist. You only worship one God. Everybody else worships a lot of gods. So the Jews kind of got some special privileges to practice their religion the way that they wanted to. They still had the temple and things like that. 
So when Christianity first started and mostly Jews were coming to Christ, okay, and this, the, the history lesson's almost over and I think it's going to be worth it, so hang with me, all right? The Roman government kind of kept giving them a pass. But then when the Roman government started to realize, wait a second, Christians are different than Jews. Christianity is like this new religion. The Roman government started persecuting Christianity some. And even started, some of the Jewish people started persecuting Christianity some. And so what happened to a lot of the Jewish people that had put their faith in Christ, professed faith in Christ, is they started to say, maybe I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Because I was a Jewish person and we didn't get persecuted very much and we kind of had a pretty serious religion and it seemed like it was meaningful. But now I've become a Christian and I'm suffering more hardship. And the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish people that had put their faith in Christ that were considering leaving Christianity because it got too hard. That's the context. You understand? Okay. And most of the first ten chapters were very theological. They were a lot of information. They were comparing and contrasting Judaism and Christianity. And where we're going to pick up in the middle of chapter 10 is where the book really starts to get very practical. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 10, and let's start in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So you see what he's saying there. He's saying, listen guys, all that stuff in the Old Testament, it was just a foreshadowing. It was pointing forward to who Jesus is and what Jesus was going to do. And in the Old Testament, only the high priest could really go into the presence of God. And he could only do it once a year after he had the right cleansing and he put on the right clothes and he walked through the curtain and they sacrificed bulls and lambs and goats and all this blood had been spilled. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, listen guys, now in the New Testament days, the days that you and I live in, anybody can go into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. You don't have to be a high priest. You don't have to be a professional Christian. You don't have to wait once a year. Anytime you can go, you can get close to God. You can talk to God. Because the curtain that separated the presence of God from the people has been torn. He says, really what was torn was the flesh of Jesus. The the blood that got spilled, it wasn't a bull, it wasn't a goat. It was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was slain for our sins so that we could get close to God. And so therefore... Even when Christianity is hard, even when you feel like you're being made fun of, you're being mocked, you're being scorned, you're being persecuted, don't turn away. Because every other religion is fake. It's false. It's not really leading you to the one true God. But Christianity, even though it's hard sometimes, it gives you access to the one true God, and so you can't turn away. And now he's going to give us three practical ways. So if you say, man, I'm all in. I mean, some of you may say, I just became a Christian at this conference last night, or you may say, I've been a Christian three years, it doesn't matter. But if you're like, I want to go back and for the next semester at my campus, the rest of my college career, and the next 60 years, 80 years, whatever it is of my whole life, I want to keep drawing near to God. I don't want to turn away. I don't want to give up. I don't want to get scared and overwhelmed. I want to walk with Christ the rest of my lifetime. What is one of the most important things you can do? It's you can draw near to God. But practically, what does that mean? I mean, that kind of sounds kind of philosophical. What does it really mean to draw near to God? Let me just kind of go ahead and skip to the punchline. All right. 
One of the main ways, not the only way, but one of the main ways that you can draw close to God and stay close to God is draw close to other Christian people. Live in community with God's people, with other Christians. Just be real practical for a second. You're going to experience this. There will be days, let's just say you have a small group Bible study with two or three other guys, two or three other girls. There are going to be days where you show up at the Bible study and you're on fire. You're passionate. You woke up early. You read your Bible for an hour and you feel like it's just coming out of your nose and ears. Like you're just quoting stuff. You're on fire for Jesus. And one of your buddies is going to show up and he's going to be cold. He's going to be hard. He's going to be mad. He's going to be depressed or filled with anxiety or something. And your job that day is to encourage him. Don't give up the faith, man. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Press on. Stay in the fight. And you know one of the reasons that you should be serious about encouraging that guy that day is because the next day you might be the one depressed. Right? I mean, our lives to varying degrees are all a roller coaster. You're going to have good days and bad days. And on your good days, strengthen your brother and your sister. Because on your bad days, you're going to need them to strengthen you. Make sense? Okay. So the first point is this. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. I'm going to pick up right where I left off in verse 22. Okay. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience. He cleanses our guilt. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And what this is saying is, guys, what you have said that you believe, if you're a Christian in this room, what you have said that you believe about Jesus Christ, that he's fully God, that he's fully man, that he lived a perfect life in your place, that he died to pay the price for your sins, he rose again to conquer death, hell, and the grave, and that your only hope is not your good works, it's what Jesus did for you. I mean, for some of you, that may seem so simple and so basic because you've been hearing it your whole life. What I'm telling you is, the older you get, the longer you live, there are going to be many temptations to start to doubt some of those basic truths. And part of what you need to do is hold fast to those basic truths. Even when you're mocked, even when you're made fun of, even when you've got a professor or a family member or a parent or a boss one day that says, I think that's stupid. You've got to hold fast to confession. It's not good enough just to say, but I had an experience in Nashville. And I, and I prayed a prayer and maybe I went to church and I got baptized and I did all this stuff. It's not enough to have a one-time experience. Christianity is not about a one-time experience. It's about a lived experience. You've got to persevere in hanging on to those truths. And there's a great old Bible teacher named John Calvin. And he said, the perseverance of the saints is a corporate venture. And here's what it means. A lot of big words. Here's what that means. If you want to persevere all the way to the end and be a Christian your whole life, because listen, some people do fall away. This is an important point. The Bible is very clear. You can't lose your salvation. If you have genuinely become a Christian, it is impossible to lose it. Jesus chose you. Jesus bought you. Jesus paid for you. Jesus grabbed hold of you. He ain't going to lose his grip. He never fumbles the ball. So the question is not, it's never, did you lose your salvation? The question is, did you ever really have it? Right? Because there are a lot of fake people. We've heard some of their testimonies up here who maybe thought they were a Christian or professed to be a Christian. And then later they figured out, I was never really a Christian. And they came to Christ later. And those can be the people that fall away. 
And you're like, well, how do I know for sure? You keep persevering. You keep holding fast to confession. You don't take it for granted. You don't get haphazard. You don't get lazy. You don't get sloppy with your Christian faith. You value it. Most of you are going to get married one day. And how are you going to get married? You're going to meet somebody. You're going to date that person. You're going to try to get to know them. You're going to try to love them, try to serve them, all that kind of stuff. But why do so many people get divorced? Is because after they get married, they're kind of like, I got the deal signed, signed, sealed, delivered. So now I can be a lazy bum. I don't have to love them anymore. I have to pursue them anymore. I have to be nice to them anymore. I have to date them. I don't have to be kind. I don't have to buy them gifts. And the people grow apart and it ends in divorce. Make sense? And guys, in a very similar sense, you need to treat your relationship like Jesus. Not like, hey, that's on lockdown. I don't need to worry about it. It's like, no, every day, go deeper with Jesus. Hold fast the confession. Christianity is not a lone ranger religion. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it in an isolated fashion. You've got to do it in a, hey, I'm locking arms with other people, and I'm going to do this thing together. So the first thing, hold fast the confession. And what? notice, okay, guys, I'm not making this up. Look at verse 23. He says, let us, it's plural. Don't try to hold fast the confession all by yourself. You won't do it. You won't survive. Hold fast the confession with other people. This is what we believe. This is what me and my friends believe. You got a lot better chance of sticking to the end if you do that. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now just think about this for a second. Part of what this is saying is, guys, don't be selfish with your Christianity. Don't just show up to the campus outreach meeting, Sunday morning church, discipleship group, accountability group, whatever it is, thinking about what you need. It's not wrong to think about what you need. You have needs. It's okay to show up and say, hey, I'm really struggling. I'm having some doubts. I'm having some fears. Please pray for me. That's not wrong. What this verse is saying, though, is don't only show up thinking about yourself. You ought to also show up thinking about other people, how you can help them, how you can bless them. It's a a consider. That means think about it. Be proactive. Don't just be lazy and haphazard and show up. But be thinking about, hey, my buddy Bob, I know he's really been struggling. And so maybe when I'm reading the Word, I'm going to try to find a verse that I could give to Bob that would encourage him with whatever he's been dealing with. That's what Christians are supposed to do. And you live in that kind of fellowship again. There's so much more power in moving forward together. Matthew Henry, I've quoted him a couple times this weekend. He said this, Be jealous for ourselves and one another with a godly jealousy. This is best friendship. Now, I mean, jealous is a word that a lot of times can be a bad thing. But it can also be a good thing. What he's saying is, we should be jealous for our own souls. Like, hey, I want to protect my own soul. I don't want to let my own soul fall into temptation, fall into sin, fall away from Christ. And in the same way you should be jealous for your own souls, you should be jealous for the Christians that are around you. I want to help protect them. I want to help them stay on the course. Have you ever watched any of these documentaries about, or maybe a movie, about where these people like climb Mount Everest or they climb these great high peaks? They almost never do it alone. They do it with other people. And they got a rope tied between them. So if one person falls, the other person can catch them. Great picture of what the Christian life is supposed to be like. Be serious about your own Christian life, but be serious about your buddy's Christian life. Okay? Be very practical. Now listen, you can't help everybody. If, if there's a hundred people involved in campus outreach at your campus, you can't necessarily help everybody. But the handful of people that you're closest with, your roommates, 
The guys and the girls that are in your Bible study, those are the ones that you can help. And don't feel the burden to help everybody, to drag everybody across the finish line. That will overwhelm you. But what you should say is, the ones that are closest to me, my best friends, the ones that I do life with together, maybe the people that are ministering to me and the ones I minister to, I am going to try to think for them, pray for them, and hopefully they're thinking for me, they're praying for me, so that we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Consider. Look at verse 24 one more time, okay? And let us consider how to stir up one another. That word stir up, you could literally, it could mean aggravate, provoke. You know, sometimes maybe if you're making fun of somebody and you're getting on their nerves, it's kind of like, hey man, you're pushing my buttons. I mean, what this verse is really saying is, learn how to push people's buttons for good. Learn how to push people's buttons in such a way to spur them to do the right thing, the good thing. And again, try to have friends in your life that do the same thing for you. Find the people, and guys, for a lot of you, you don't even have to think about this. You already know. You know there's a handful of friends over here that profess to be Christians. But if you're being gut level honest, you're like, man, I don't want to judge them. But when I look at their life compared to what the Bible says, they don't look like Christians. You know what? But they're a lot of fun. They're really cool to hang out with on Friday night. But every time I hang out with them, I end up making some really stupid decisions. But I have a lot of fun. And then you may have another group of friends over here. And you're like, you know what? These people, man, they are serious about their faith. They are taking it serious. They're going all the way for Jesus. They are sold out. They're all the time reading the Bible, trying to talk to people about Christ. And i got to be honest. They're not quite as cool as these people over here. They're not quite as fun. But they're a lot more safe. They push me forward. How serious are you about surviving spiritually? Because I'm just telling you, I've been doing this long enough and you can talk to the staff person on your campus and unfortunately, we could all tell you stories about somebody that was involved in campus outreach at one point and they were passionate and they were a leader and they were so on fire for Jesus and now they are far from Him. They have left the faith. Faith that fizzles before the finish was false from the first. Hey, a pastor said that, right? Faith that finish, that fizzles before the finish was false from the first. It's not that you lose your salvation. It is that you can prove that you never had it. So guys, be jealous for your own soul. Get around the people that are going to spur you to love and good deeds. And then look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another... And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Just being uber practical here, guys. One of the best things you can do as you go back to campus, if you really want to persevere for a lifetime in godliness with Christ, is gather together often with Christians. You need to be a good student. You need to go to class. If you're an athlete, you need to show up to practice and do all that stuff. But you need to make time to be with other Christians. Going to church, coming to campus outreach, discipleship, accountability group, Bible study, I don't care what you call it. The point is, you need to be in intentional environments with other Christians. Don't neglect it. Don't get in that. Listen, if you had the biggest test of your life on Thursday morning and you haven't studied enough and the campus outreach meeting is Wednesday night, it's okay to skip every once in a while. It's not a sin if you miss one week. Okay, that's, listen... Don't, all right, somebody amen that, right? Listen, don't think of this mainly as a duty, box checking, I've got to do this to be a good Christian. Think of this more as survival, right? 
I mean, if you want to be a healthy person, you need to eat food regularly. You can't go on a forever fast and be like, I'm going to be in the best shape of my life. No, you're going to be dead. And if you want to be spiritually healthy, you've got to be around other Christians on the regular. It's just got to be part of a normal warp and woof of your life. I hang out with Christians. I go to Christian meetings. I need it. Don't neglect it. And what he's saying is, even back then, people were starting to do it. They're like, man, the Christians are getting made fun of. The Christians get persecuted. So I just, I'm not going to say I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I'm just going to quit going to church. I'm going to quit going to the meetings. But guys, there's a true story about uh, that I heard. Well, I think it's true. I don't know for sure, but it's a good story. So I'm going to share it anyway, okay? And, and this was about like, in, in, you know, maybe 100 years ago, some little small village, and there was a pastor of a small church, and he had one member of the church who was not doing good, and the guy just quit coming to church. Because that, that's what happens to a lot of us. I mean, a lot of people have talked about struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression, and a lot of people are struggling with that kind of stuff. And a lot of times when we struggle with situations like that, you know what we do? We just quit hanging out with people, right? Because if you're depressed, you're like, I don't want to see people. That makes it worse. So we just isolate. But how's that isolation working for you? It doesn't make it get better, does it? So, And people have been doing this for a long time. So supposedly, this small village, this one man, he's doing bad. He just quits coming to church. And people had tried to talk to him, and he wouldn't listen to anybody. So one day, the pastor went to the guy's house, and the man was just sitting by the fire. It was cold, kind of like it is outside now. And he had a fire there. And so the pastor just sat down beside him. He never said a word. But finally, the pastor got the poker, you know, that you can stoke the fire. And he took one of the embers in the fire, one of the coals, a little piece of wood or something, and he moved it all the way over in the corner of the fireplace so it wasn't touching any of the other embers or coals or logs. And after a minute, that ember got really cold. You could just tell all the heat went out of it. No color anymore. And then the pastor reached the poker and he got it and he pulled it back next to the fire. And the next thing you knew, that ember heated back up, got red hot again. And the pastor just got up and he left. Never said a word. And the guy, the next week, he showed back up to church. The point had been made. You try to stay on fire for Jesus all by yourself, you're guaranteed going to fail. Recipe for disaster. The only way that me, you, any of us has a chance of making it is with other people. You have to live in community. Even the great Apostle Paul, right? If there ever was a super Christian, if there ever was a guy that's like, I could do this all on my own, it was the Apostle Paul. But when he was in a dungeon late in his life, go read it in 2 Timothy, probably written weeks before he died, he was begging people, come visit me. He knew he needed fellowship. If he needed it, so do we. John Wesley, a great evangelist, said this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. I mean, that's almost like a mantra in our culture today, right? Well, my religion is just a private thing. Well, then your religion is wrong. That's not the way spirituality is supposed to work. It's not a private thing. It's not a personal thing. Okay? If what you mean by personal is private, you've got to do this in community with other people. There was one church, and when you joined the church, you had to take a vow. And here's part of what you said in the vow. We engage to watch over one another in love. I mean, what if you and your friends, in your Bible study, in your D group, in your accountability group, said, hey, this next semester, let's kind of pledge to one another. We're going to look out for each other's souls. We're going to ask each other hard questions. When somebody's suffering, we're going to encourage them. And if somebody starts to lead the you know, here's what happens so many times, and it can happen to a guy or a girl. You start dating somebody, really good looking, 
Not really sure where they stand with Jesus. Next thing you know, Bob ain't coming to D group anymore. Why? Almost certainly Bob's shacking up. And he feels bad about it. But he's in love. And his love for Jesus is going down while his love for Susie's going up. And what do good friends do? Just sit around and talk about Bob? He's a big dumb loser? Hopefully not. Hopefully what you do is you go find Bob. Now, hey, Bob, I love you, man. And listen, I get it. I like girls too. And I do think she's beautiful. But she ain't going to be beautiful if she ruins your life and you go to hell. So come back, Bob. Come hang out, man. We love you. We miss you. That's the kind of friends that you need in your life. That's the kind of friends that you need to be to other people. Now let me, this is a little bit of a long quote. This is really good. There's a guy named George Whitfield, this great evangelist in the 1700s that preached all across America and England, led a lot of people to Christ. But listen to what he said, okay? He was doing evangelistic ministry, so he had a bunch of baby new Christians in his ministry. And listen to what he says. My brothers, let us plainly and freely tell one another what God has done for our souls. To this end, you would do well, as others have done, to form yourselves into little companies of four or five each and meet once a week to tell each other what is in your hearts that you may pray for and comfort one another as need may require. None but they who have experienced it can tell the unspeakable advantage of such communion of souls. None, I think, that truly loves his own soul and his brethren as himself will be shy of opening his heart in order to have their advice, reproof, admonition, and prayer as occasion requires. A sincere person will esteem it one of the greatest blessings. Guys, what I'm trying to tell you all is this is not just a campus outreach thing, being a small group. It's a Bible thing. Okay? It, it's a... It's been going on for hundreds of years. You want to survive. You want to thrive spiritually. You have got to be hanging out with other Christians. And let me just say this. Because some of you may be in here and you're like, dude, I'm a six-year senior. I've been in campus outreach. I've been to so many spring retreats. I could teach from the stage. I already know everything. I'm doing great. In some sense, you probably need help more than anybody. And here's what I mean. The longer you've been in the Christian life, people like me, the paid professional Christians, everybody starts to assume that you're doing good. The baby Christian who just got saved, everybody's worried about that guy or girl, right? Are you okay? I'm checking on on you. How's it going? Breaking away from your old friends? Once you've been doing it for a couple of decades, everybody just assumes, well, that guy must be doing great. He's on the stage talking about Jesus, sharing his testimony. You need to be even more intentional. I have to be even more intentional by inviting people into my life. Ask me the hard questions because I'm still a sinner. I still get tempted. Guys, this is for the rest of your life. This is not just a college thing. The rest of your life, you need to make it easy for other people to know your junk and ask you questions about the places you struggle. That's the only prayer you have to make it to the end. This is a war zone. Satan is after you. This is a total side note, but guys, just in the Bible, there's five people that we know of in the Bible that Satan like specifically went after to try to attack them. Adam and Eve, when they were perfect in the garden. Job, when God said, he's the most righteous guy on planet earth. Jesus, who was the God man, pretty big deal. And then Peter, Jesus' number one disciple. You understand the point I'm trying to make? Satan doesn't tend to go after the straggler as much as he goes after the leaders, the people that are all in. So if you're like, dude, I'm already doing everything. Praise the Lord. Keep doing it. Don't let it go to your head. Don't, don't, don't start to think I can coast now because I've been doing well for so long. 
You're probably the one that Satan's got a target on your back. You may need fellowship more than anybody else. Okay? Now, um, this should be practical for a minute. What, what is the main obstacle that will keep you from this? It's just twofold. One is busyness. I know you're busy, but guys, just, I hope you hear my heart in this. For almost all of you, you have more free time in your life right now than you will ever have again. Until you're in the old folks' home. So from right now until about age 76, when your brain doesn't work well anymore, neither does your bladder, and you're stuck in the old folks' home, you got more free time than you're ever going to have. Most of you are going to graduate, you're going to get a job, you're going to get a spouse, you're going to get kids, and you're going to be overwhelmed. And if you don't figure out how to build in the priority of Christian fellowship now, it will be much harder to do later. So go ahead and build a foundation in your soul. I prioritize getting with other Christians on a regular basis, no matter what. It ain't just about my social life. It's about my soul survival. Nail that down in your heart. When I was first on staff with Campus Outreach, I was at the University of North Alabama in Florence, Alabama, a little small college town, probably like a lot of little college towns that y'all live in. And I was only there for about four or five years. And the very first semester we were there, we, we saw like this little miniature revival where like 50 people professed faith in Christ. And so, so much of our four or five years there was really just following up those 50 people. And other people came to Christ. But when I left, here was an interesting thing. I knew almost everybody that had been involved in the ministry because it had only been going for, we started it from scratch. We'd only been going four or five years. So I tried to do some surveys of all the people that we'd ministered to while we were there. And I had a handful of questions that I asked them. But here was maybe the, the clearest stat that came out from that. Of everybody that had made a profession of faith in Christ at some point, if they had gotten involved in a small group almost immediately, again, don't care what you call it, Bible study, D-group, accountability group, whatever, call it whatever you want to. But if somebody had made a profession of faith in Christ and they got plugged into a small group, four or five years later, 80%, so the vast majority of them were still walking with Christ. Not perfect, but they were growing. They were progressing. They were hungry. There was life change. And the flip side was true as well. If somebody had made a profession of faith in Christ, but for whatever reason they were too busy, and they never got plugged into a small group. Over 80% of them, four or five years later, they weren't welcome to Christ. They'd left the faith. Because this is just practical. This is one of the best things that you can do. I heard a preacher say one time, this really stuck with me. Nobody leaves God all at once. It's not like a blowout in a tire. It's not like you're driving down the highway and everything's going fine. And all of a sudden, Boom! You hit something in the road and your tire goes flat. That's not the way it happens. People leave God like a slow leak. But you know, if i got a slow leak in my tire right now, and I start driving back to Birmingham, at some point I'm going to be flat on the side of the road. I'm going to be just as flat as if I had a blowout, even though it's not going to be dramatic at all. It's going to be a slow fade. You understand what I'm saying? And for some of you, it's not like you're going to be on fire for Jesus one day and like the next day you're going to be like, I hate God. It doesn't work that way. It's a slow fade. Yeah, I love Jesus. I'm passionate. Well, you know, I still like Jesus. I'm committed to Christian. I can't go. I'm a little busy, but man, I'm still in. I'm so bored. The next thing you know, a year later, you're far from the Lord. Don't do it. Be jealous for your own soul. Be jealous for the souls of your friends. Because Christ was jealous for your soul. 
Christ did everything that he could to draw near to you. He literally hung on the cross and had his flesh ripped so that you could have full access to the Father. He did everything he could to draw near to you. And now he beckons you. Draw near to me. Draw near to my Father. And he says, one of the most practical ways that you can draw near to me and draw near to my Father is draw near to my people. And that will be so much the way that you will experience true fellowship and intimacy with me. Let me pray. Once again, Lord Jesus, we we love you. We celebrate you. You're such a good God. You're such a wise God. You're such a sacrificial older brother. We thank you and praise you that you're our Savior, that you came to earth, that you saw us. I pray for myself. I pray for everybody hearing this. Fill us full of wisdom to know how vitally important it is to draw near to you and help us make the right decision to enter into Christian fellowship in every way that we realistically can that would be helpful for us, whether that's through the local church, through campus outreach, whatever it is. But Lord, keep us near unto other Christians for the rest of our lives so that we can live near unto you for the rest of our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.